In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, I'm surprised at how many people are here. <laughs> um, I thought maybe 10 or 15, but thank you, welcome. Uh, but my guess is that very few, if any of you, when you read the gospel or listened to the gospel this morning, saw in it a way to make America great again. Did you? Or since America was really never great for everybody, even back in the good old days, just to make America great. But I did, and I will tell you about it in a little bit. But first, um, a confession. When I mentioned to a friend of mine that I was going to be preaching on this particular passage in Matthew, my friend said, oh yeah, the antithesis. And I said, the what? Antithesis is a word for opposites. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And there are six of them, but we only get four today. I'm going to cheat and tell you the other two later. For example, you have heard that murder is wrong, but I tell you anger is wrong. You have heard that adultery is wrong, but I tell you looking at a woman with lust is wrong. You have heard that there is a proper way to divorce your wife, but I tell you, don't divorce your wife, unless it's unchastity, for a reason of unchastity. And the, re the reading goes on to tell us not to swear, but just to say yes or no. So none of this, I swear on my mother's grave, just say yes. Uh, and although our reading ends with that part, there are two more antitheses that will not appear in the lectionary anytime soon. One of them is, you have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which I paraphrased as, you have heard that revenge is good, but I tell you, do not resist those who abuse you. The civil rights movement in the 1960s under the direction of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. took that antithesis to new levels. And because of television, America was able to see what it looks like in its greatest extreme. If you are too young to remember that, or even if you want to review it, go to YouTube and, and search for civil rights marches or for fire hoses on protesters and look. Because fire hoses were turned on people dressed in their Sunday best clothes and skittered them across the pavements. German Shepherd police dogs were sicked on people who were simply walking. Unarmed people were pushed to the ground and clubbed, clubbed viciously by law enforcement. And then the final summary of the law type of antithesis is, you have heard that you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say to you, and this could make America great again, you are to love your enemies. But that wasn't in the reading, so that's not the one that grabbed me. Daniel Harrington, who is the author of the commentary for Matthew, 
from the series Sacra Pahina, one of my favorite commentaries, says that the writer of Matthew is showing that Jesus is not in opposition to the law. There are some Christian churches who will sort of teach that there was the law for the Jews, but now we have Jesus. And this writer says no. Matthew is not saying that at all. Jesus is not in opposition to the law, in opposition to the Torah, which was the core of Judaism. Harrington says the writer of Matthew is showing that Jesus is in accord, in agreement with the Torah, but taking it to much greater depth. And Jesus himself says in verse 17, which is between last, year's, last week's reading and our reading today, I have not come, not come to abolish the law, but to complete it. So back to the antitheses. For example, everyone knows that murder is bad. But Jesus tells his, his listeners that murder begins with anger. So do not nurse anger. And everyone knows that adultery is naughty at its least destructiveness and destructive to families at its worst. But Jesus says adultery begins with a lustful look at woman. And the lustful look is with the eye, hence that additional admonition about if your eye is giving you trouble, pluck it out rather than go down that terribly destructive path. <coughs> and then Jews had means for divorce. Moses gave it to them. Men, that is. Jewish men had means of divorcing their wives. But Jesus curbs that ability, limits it, because women without a man to support them were lost. They had no way to eat. They had no place for shelter. So, incompatibility was not enough grounds for divorcing a wife, according to Jesus. And actually, although we are well accustomed to getting whatever we want, whenever we want it in our society, incompatibility or boredom is probably not a reason for divorce even today. And this is my disclaimer, because I know someone's going to hear... Cynthia said divorce could never happen. I'm not, not saying that. There are reasons for divorce, but boredom is not one of them. And I love the last reading. If you want to say yes, just say yes. In one of the other Gospels, it talks about swearing by the gold or by the temple. They argue about that. But Jesus makes it very simple, very basic. Just say yes or just say no. Don't swear by anything. But the thing in today's reading that made me think, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have the basis for making America great, or making America great again, was verse 23. And you can't see it's verse 23, but it's fairly near the beginning. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then go and offer your gift. And I've preached on this text before, but it didn't hit me until this time when I read it, and I was whoof, back about 40 years, maybe longer, I didn't count. But back to the early 70s, either 72 or 73, when I was a, I think I was a second year teacher. 
because I had some confidence and I was feisty. It was, for those of you that were adults in that era, it was the time of black power. There was a lot of antagonism. I lived in Marin County, which was where there was a, a breakout and people were killed during a, a trial. And Angela Davis had supplied the guns in that breakout and she was later tried in that same beautiful Frank Lloyd Wright courthouse in Marin County. Uh, people wearing afros as a sign of black power. And I had a student named Stephanie who had an afro and she sat right behind another twerp named Stephen. <laughs> Stephen had written something really nasty about me. I had caught him in the act so there was no question about who did it on the wood that supported the pencil sharpener. It said, Miss Woodham, and then there was a verb, a filthy verb. So he was not one of my favorite students. And that day, he was doing his social studies homework in my math class. And so when I saw it, I picked it up and crumpled it up and threw it in the trash and said, you do your math in math class. And then Stephanie behind him said, you can't do that to him. He's got rights. And I turned to her and I said, you stay out of this. This is none of your business. And then I went on. Now, you can't do any of that nowadays, but you could <laughs> back then. It was a Friday afternoon. It was the last period of the day. So I closed up my room, went to the office, and I thought, you know, I really ought to call Stephanie's mother to let her know what she did in class today. So I called, and Stephanie's mother answered the phone, and she said, she's already told me what she did, and she had every right to tell you. That boy has rights. And I took the phone, and it was one of those big old-fashioned dial phones, and I put the receiver on the thing and went home. I did not have to put up with that on a Friday afternoon. Saturday went by normal. Sunday, guess what the gospel reading was? So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. And I thought, oh, I was rude. I was rude on Friday afternoon. And so Monday morning in the faculty room, I wrote a note to Stephanie's mother. And I apologized not for telling Stephanie to stay out of my business because I still thought I was right about that. But I apologized for hanging up on her. And that was that. I was at peace, you know, with that. I had done the best I could to make things right. Two days later, one of the student aides comes into my room. I'm at the blackboard, and she says, Miss Woodham, this is for you. It was a golden pothos plant with foil on it. So it came from the florist. Back in those days, you could only get flowers at florists. And I said, for me, it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't that, it was nothing, you know? So I took it, and the card was stuck in it. When I opened it up, it said, peace. And it was signed by Stephanie's mother. I still remember that day. I remember looking at that card with big eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, doing what I had heard on Sunday had changed both of us. And it affected the rest of my teaching career. I never forgot that not apologizing for what I did that I thought was right, but apologizing for, for hanging up on her 
the rest of my teaching career, when I had a conflict with, a, with parents of a student, and they were all twerps. I mean, I was a nice teacher, so they were bad. <laughs> but every time I had a conflict with a parent who thought their little darling hadn't done anything wrong, I was able to apologize, usually for raising my voice. And it worked every time. I didn't do it for that reason, but it worked every time. The parents lost their defensiveness, and sometimes they'd say, he acts up at home, too. <laughs> 27 years, that lesson I learned with Stephanie's mom stood me in good stead. It never failed me. Well, verse 23 in today's lesson showed me the power of obeying Jesus. That verse 23 changed my life, and it changed Miss Coleman's life, because later, a few weeks later, I was at the Lucky Supermarket Produce section, and I heard this, Miss Woodham, Miss Woodham, how are you? And it was Stephanie's mother. She was changed, too. Jesus' words broke two hearts open back then. So that was then, and this is now. Imagine circumstances today where families and friends or former friends are not speaking because some are Republican and some are Democrats. Some are progressive and some are conservative. Could you possibly imagine a way to approach someone whose views are totally opposite yours, whose views are repugnant to you, can you imagine approaching them in such a way that you could hear them? It's not something that most of us can do on the spur of the moment. It's going to take prayer and planning, because it's going to be a spiritual decision. It's not going to happen naturally. You might even want to practice not responding to ugly words. Or you might practice having something you can say that's neutral, like, oh, oh. So if words come out, they don't offend. But to not contradict, to not correct, and to not state your view, which you know is right, but simply to listen. To just listen to the other side. I think it might not be a good idea to start with family. Because I think a lot of families have deep hurts that have nothing to do with politics. So that might be too hard a place. But what about a friend that you no longer talk to because of their views? Or somebody on Facebook, every time you see it, you go, oh, geez, not again. Or you've defriended this person. I have a lot of dreams. Not too long ago, when I registered for the Healthy Church, Healthy Congregation workshop, I posted on Facebook, because it gave you an opportunity, you know, I registered, why don't you? And I put it on Facebook and I said, I have a dream. I didn't realize I was too many, but I said, I dream that 200 people go to the workshop. Well, we couldn't have fit in 200 people, but 154 came. And today I have a dream that maybe 10 people, 10 people will intentionally seek out someone whose views they think are awful, repugnant, stupid. And then those 10 people listen, 
with ears and an open heart, and not speaking, just listening, as if the one speaking, that one that they think is crazy and wrong, is a child of God, because you know they are. Every one of those people that you disagree with is a child of God, a beloved child of God. Could we listen without animosity to this child of God? Well, you have an opportunity beginning in 10 days. Lent will happen. And Lent is a time of taking on, possibly taking on a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice. And perhaps 10 of you will take on that discipline of listening to someone with political views that are the opposite of yours and listening with compassion. And beware, because you might fail, you might explode, but that's okay. God doesn't call us to success, God calls us to faithfulness, and just the trying is being faithful. But if you fail, I hope you will try again. I think you will find if you do this, it is very, very hard to hate someone who looks you in the eye and shares their fears. Because hateful actions, hateful speech are always based on fear. And so some of those hateful seeming political views are based on fear. You remember how Jesus implied that murder began with anger? Well, hate begins with fear. So can you listen to someone who's afraid? You might find that if you are able to do that, that you will realize that you have some fears too and that you have more in common with the person you're listening to than you ever thought. Jesus says, love your neighbors and you have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But what I tell you is this, love your enemies and pray for them. Only so can you be children of God.